Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The story is case in point. Your sin looks terrible on other people. Not only that, but it's harsh. There's no law for death for cattling Russell or rustling cattle. Cattling Russell. (laughs) 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 Who is Russell? (laughs) And what is cattling? (laughs) It's not that easy to do what I do up here. So y'all look at it and think, oh, that's just easy. That's a piece of cake. It's not that easy. There's no law for death for cattle rustling. There's no law of death for stealing someone cheap. But there is a law of death to the man or the woman who is committing adultery. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife. He who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife. The adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. The man that has done this thing shall surely die. That's harsh. And there's no law that says that should happen. But when you're in sin and disobeying God, you're not hearing from the Holy Spirit and you're not following the things of the word. You're making up your own rules as you go by. I ain't talking about here. I'm just talking. You make it up as you go along. There's no law against that. Nathan says in verse 7, go ahead and look at it. David, you may be king, but he's the God of Israel. And then Nathan is now speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God said through Nathan, I anointed you, shepherd boy. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul and Goliath and the Philistines and the Amorites and all of the enemies. And I gave you your master's house and wives, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that hadn't been enough, I would have even given you more. God says, David, I gave you the dynasty. I put everything in your hands. David, I anointed you, and there's no reason for this. Anything you want, I would have given it to you. Why have you despised, in verse 9, the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Listen, all evil is done in the sight of the Lord. Period. All evil is done in the sight of the Lord. I told you last week that David writes Psalm 51 as a backdrop here. And in Psalm 51 verse 4, David says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13. Nothing is hidden from his sight. 
But all things are naked and open to the eyes of to whom we must give an account. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and good. All evil is done in the sight of the Lord. We think because you're not there or because God's not like physically there or we can't see him or we can't touch him, that he's not there. God is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere at once. The devil is not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. Satan can only be in one place at one time. Now he's got little minions and little little buck private demons that can be all over everywhere. But God can be everywhere at once. So all evil is done in the sight of the Lord. Clear. Bible's, Bible's clear about that. Nathan spells out David's sin in no uncertain terms. You have taken Uriah's wife and you have killed him with the sword of Ammon. This word killed is the word murdered. Murdered. God is saying it may have been an Ammonite that killed him, but David, you used that Ammonite to kill him. He was a tool in your hands. God said, you've despised my commandment. God said, David, because you've done this thing, verse 10, the sword shall not depart from your house, implied as long as David lived. Now take note of this. Because you have despised me, God is saying, David, when you sin, you despise me. When David took Bathsheba and killed Uriah, that was an act against God. And because of that, David was never the same. And from now on, David's going to be the best king as a fallen king. Hear me. The best king as a fallen king. From now on. Everything's changed. Everything's changed. He'll be the best king he can be as a fallen king. But David will never be the king that he was before this sin. Isn't that interesting? He'll never be the same. Everything changes for one act of lust. For one act of disobedience, everything changes. Alan Redpath said, when a man or a woman of God sins, they are like an eagle with its wings clipped. They may fly again, but never as high. Never as high. Thus says the Lord in verse 11, look at it. I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. The sword will never depart from David's house. And we know, listen, that God forgives, don't we? And God forgave David of his sin. But listen, that doesn't remove the consequences of sin. Think about it. If you get drunk and you hit someone and you break your hand, that doesn't mean the next day your hand won't hurt. It's going to take six to eight weeks for that hand to heal. So David repents genuinely and, and, he, and he's serious and contrite and repentant and makes himself vertically right with God. But on the horizontal, there are still consequences that will never leave his life. God is quick to forgive. But there are always consequences. Listen to me. God is quick to forgive, but there are 
always consequences. You reap what you sow. You sow to the flesh, you reap destruction. Although you repent on the vertical and you're all good, there's still repercussions on the horizontal that still need to be dealt with. And David dealt with the consequences for the rest of his life. Bathsheba has a baby boy. Although later he dies, the sword shall never leave David's house. David's son Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar. The sword shall never leave his house. Absalom's David's son acts like he's forgiving Ammon for raping his sister. It was his full sister, like blood sister. But later we learn that Absalom was planning to have Amnon murdered. The sword will never leave David's house. Okay, what is, what is dad David going to say? What's dad David going to say? He, nothing. Well, you know, Absalom, you know, uh, killing folk ain't right. Really? Oh, okay. Got, got you. What is he going to say? He can't say nothing. He can't say nothing. Because his son will say, well, hey, what about that murder uh, that you had a little exchange with? The sword shall never depart from your house. Two years later, Ammon finally, Absalom, pardon me, finally murders his half-brother Ammon for what he did to Tamar. And Absalom runs and hides from, in, from justice. David's actions have consequences that go on for years. And can I tell you something? Your actions have consequences that go on for years. Might even, might I say, for generations. Now, people take that. This is not what I'm saying, okay? People take that down this whole path of generational curses. You've got a generational curse. So you smoke cigarettes and your grandma and your grandpa and your great-grandma and your great-grandpa and your grandparents and your grandpappies all the way back to the 1800s all smoke cigarettes. So you got the demon of curse smoking cigarettes. And it's a generational thing. It's a generational thing. So, so uh, you know, you, you drink. And you drink too much. Not water. <laughs> you drink too much. And because you drink so much, there's a generational thing there. And people get all into that. And that's kind of the Christian version of psychobabble. It really is. But don't get me wrong. I think there's room for Therapy. Biblical and biblical therapy to me is called discipleship. It's called let's get in the word together and see what God's word had to say. It's called let me anoint you with oil and let me get some elders and pastors around you to pray for you so that so that whatever's going on in you, God can bring clarity to your life. I, 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 I believe in that. But generational curses, I'm not so sure. Because I believe the Bible says when you give your life to Jesus Christ, there is no curse. Now, Jesus has broken every single curse that could ever possibly come your way. 
And if you're a believer, then you're filled with the spirit of God and there's no room for the devil inside the temple of the living God. How can Christ and Belial dwell in the same temple? That's impossible. So I'm, I'm not saying that there's, there's this generational curse thing that people take it to a whole other level. I'm saying that when you sin, the consequences can be great even throughout your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren because they learn patterns from you. Parent. They learn patterns from you, so they see that this is the way you live and you do this. And then they grow up that way because that's the home they grew up in. And then they do that and they do that and they do that and they do that. And unless Christ comes into the picture, that cycle will continue. And that is not necessarily a curse so much as it is a learned behavior and a bad environment that a child was brought up in. And Jesus has the power over every bad environment and over every bad thing that a child can experience. So the sword shall never depart from David's house. And it didn't. Verse 13. My, my, my. Where's the time go? Verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Two things. Get your pen. Get your pen. Get your pen. Two things we learn about David's confession. Number one, confession doesn't have to be wordy. Confession doesn't have to be wordy. Why do I say that? Because in the Hebrew language, I have sinned against the Lord amounts to two words. Hatal Yahweh. I have sinned against the Lord is two words in the Hebrew language. Hatal Yahweh. Hatal Yahweh. I have sinned against the Lord. Two words that reflect the heart. This is the difference between David and Saul. David's words were few and real and sincere. Saul confessed his sin with many words, but they weren't real and they weren't um, sincere. It's in 1 Samuel. I'll just read it to you. Don't turn there. It's in 1 Samuel 15, 24 through 25. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and, and return with me that I may worship the Lord. David didn't say all that. David said, I have sinned. I have sinned. Three words. So confession does not have to be wordy, number one. The second thing I want to tell you about David's confession is David didn't use PC or soft language. David said, I have sinned. He didn't say, I have made a mistake. He didn't say, I had a huge lack of judgment. Y'all pray for me. He didn't say, I made an error or an indiscretion. I made a boo-boo. He didn't say that. He said, I've sinned. Listen, if you can't call it what it is, how can you deal with it? If you can't call it what it is, how can you deal with it? That's just a fact. Listen, that's just a fact. 
We don't know if David confessed to Uriah's family. We don't know if David confessed to Ahithophel, Bathsheba's grandfather. But David has come to understand he has sinned against the Lord and systematically broken the entire Ten Commandments in one sin with Bathsheba. Number six, commandment, thou shalt not kill or murder. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Number 10, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house or thy neighbor's wife or thy neighbor's goods or thy neighbor's servants. David is in one sin dismantled I guess when you do it, do it big. <laughs> I guess I, I'm, not, I'm not saying do it. I'm just saying, I guess when you do it, you do it big. Because he did it big. He just did everything. Just wiped them all out. Although, David did all of this to these people. David realized it was against God. Not against Bathsheba, although he had. Not against Uriah, although he had. Not against Joab, although he had. Because ultimately, all sin is against the Lord that has repercussions toward people. Listen, in this life, you will inevitably find yourself offending someone. We are all humans. Nobody's perfect. If you're perfect, will you please stand? Nobody's standing. Let me check on this side. All right. Nobody's standing. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. We all sin. We all do things that we shouldn't have done. We all say things that we shouldn't say. But the best thing to do when you do something you shouldn't have done to someone or say something that you shouldn't have said to someone is to go to that someone. And I don't recommend texting that someone. I'm just not a big fan of that. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm, you know, I'm, don't do that. How about a conversation? We are losing the art of talking to each other. It's going to be a bygone activity real soon. Of talking to each other. Face to face. Go to that person. I don't care if you're 8 or 80. Go to that person. And say, hey, forgive me. I'm sorry. Say, forgive me. Say, forgive me. Say, forgive me. Matter of fact, I'll take that back. Don't say, I'm sorry. Say, forgive me. Don't say, I'm sorry. Some people go, well, you know what? I'm sorry. I mean, I get the sentiment, but... Listen, sorry can mean a lot of things. It is better. Okay, here's my point. It is better to say, forgive me. That is clear. Am I right about it, saints? It is clear. Forgive me. I was wrong. Some people have a real hard time saying I was wrong. Forgive me. I blew it. I messed up. I'm not perfect. Neither are you, but don't say I'm sorry. Don't, don't just say, oh, if, I'm sorry. If you say I'm sorry, include forgive me. But don't just say I'm sorry because I'm sorry can mean a lot of things. Sorry can mean sorry you got caught. <laughs> sorry can mean sorry you got found out. Sorry the situation in the relationship has changed. Or you're just Sorry. You'll get that on the way home. 
Oh, you just sorry. Judas Iscariot was sorry, and then he went out and hung himself. Sorry carries a whole different idea. Go to them and say, forgive me. And when you say, forgive me, you're owning the fact that you sinned. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, at this point, David is broken, and there's confession. And as far as heaven is concerned, there is restoration. I think of 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. God says to Solomon, for it was So when Solomon was old, that his wife turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of his father. David was a great man who served a great nation, who loved a great God. And Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines, which I don't know how he did that, but okay, fine. 300 wives. Fellas, where you at? 300. One for me. (laughs) All right, just one. Solomon, you know, Solomon allowed all those wives to build temples to their gods. One thing David never did, he never changed gods. Write that down. That's good, write that down. David never changed gods. He worshiped his God. He fought giants in the presence of his God. He got victories in the presence of his God. He sinned in the presence of his God. He failed in the presence of his God. He repented in the presence of his God. But David never changed God's. God said to Solomon, your heart isn't like the heart of your father, David, because you, Solomon, Marry all those women and let them build temples to their weirdo gods in Jerusalem. You're not like your father. David was a man after God's own heart. Verse 14, on the horizontal, I need to come in. On the horizontal, when we sin and we fail, we give the enemies of the Lord a reason to mock God. Notice David said, however, the Lord's put away your sin, David. And you shall not die. However, because by this deed, verse 14, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You see, we give the enemies of the Lord a reason to mock God. It happens all the time. When tele-evangelists, I think of, you know, Jimmy Swaggart and, and Jim Baker, and we hear of Catholic priests who are molesting little boys, and it's interesting because others do these things that are inconsistent with what they say, and it always comes back to the Lord. The Lord always takes the heat. It's the Lord that becomes the target. People say, well, if that's, if that's their God, then how can a God like that, you know, allow that to happen if he's such a loving God? And it gives the enemies of the Lord a reason to blaspheme. The word blaspheme literally means to shake your fist at. It means to shake your like this. You know, forget you, God. You ain't nothing. To shake your fist at God. That's what it means. And when we do things, Christian, Mr. Christian, or we make Facebook Posts that are inappropriate. 
when we text or we tweet or we DM or whatever it is, we Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is we do, and it's inappropriate, somebody who's looking at it, they know you're a Christian. They go, that's odd for a Christian to be saying that. I thought they were a Christian. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, right. You give the enemies of the Lord a reason to blaspheme God. We got to be careful about that. We need to be careful about that. When you commit adultery, you're giving the enemies of the, of the Lord a reason to blaspheme. And because there was no specific sacrifice for the sin of adultery, just death, God said through Nathan, David, you're not going to die. But because of what you've done, you've given the enemies of the Lord a reason to blaspheme. And I get it. We're all human. We all do things that dishonors God. And I really believe that all the things that David had done had crushed David. Because David really did love God with all of his heart. And as we move through 2 Samuel chapter 2, we'll watch David being restored bit by bit, broken bit by broken bit, piece by piece being restored. But again, listen, it gets worse before it gets better. In chapter 13, I'll tell you something, then we're done. After this little episode, David becomes a much greater student of the word. David becomes a, has a better understanding of forgiveness and, and of God and the love of God. And we see that in the Psalms. And it's interesting because at the end of David's life, David doesn't describe himself as the king of Israel. He says, the sweet psalmist David. David really did love the Lord. David allowed his flesh to get away from him. But he really did love the Lord. And unfortunately, God said the sword shall never depart from your house. It never did. And it gets worse before it gets better. So chapter 13 gets worse. And we'll deal with that uh, the next time. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.